0: This is a show about breasts and the people who have them, from bras and sexuality to health and everyday life. This is The Very Breast Podcast Ever. Hey, Breasties, welcome, welcome to the very first episode of Season 2 of The Very Breast Podcast Ever. I'm your host, Nadia Figueroa. And I'm here with our producer, Alyssa
1: McHugh. Nice to meet you.
0: This season, Alyssa and I are gonna mix it up a little and try something a little different. So first, we're gonna be releasing a new episode once a month this season. Um, We wanna make sure that we're putting as much time and research as we can into each episode. And since Alyssa and I both have full-time jobs and we are still a two-woman show, we're adjusting our schedule a little to make sure that we can bring you the best content that we can. But if you're really hankering for more of The Very Breast Podcast ever, head on over to our Patreon and for a monthly donation of as little as $5 a month, and incidentally that's less than a gallon of gas these days, um, we will have some bonus content available just for you. There's a link in our show notes and also at the theverybreastpodcastever.com for our Patreon and for the higher levels, you can even submit a topic to us that we'll cover on an upcoming episode. We will definitely do our best to cover your topic, and if it's something we're not sure we can pull off, we'll workshop it with you, and we'll give you credit on the episode. Um, Next, we're also going to change it up a little with our content. Of course, we will still be bringing you all of the very breast interviews from folks with amazing breast stories to tell, but we're also going to be adding in some new episodes that are just conversations between me and Alyssa, where I cover things that just interest us about boobs. So this is the very first edition of this type of episode, and Alyssa, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm excited. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited too. (laughs) So when it comes to breasts, I have to say that one of my favorite topics is still bras. And today we're going to talk about the business of the bra. Where did they come from? Why are there so many types of bras? When did we first start wearing them? And when I dived into this topic, I did not expect to go as deep as I did. So this is actually going to be a two-part episode. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly when women started wearing bras. But one of the main things that I noticed in my research is that breast support kind of swings back and forth, get it, (laughs) throughout history between wrapping up, compressing, hiding away, and then just setting the breasts free. And throughout the 20th century up to now, that back and forth swing in breast support was happening basically almost every decade. And today we're kind of in like a set them free mode. I read this Washington post article recently about the death of the underwire after the pandemic. It's just kind of a a trend now to see a lot more boobs than we were used to in the early two thousands.
1: I can't even tell you the last time I have a couple underwire bras that every once in a while, like, I'll put on with the best of intentions. And then I'm like, no, <laughs> and I, I immediately change into a bralette or.
0: A yeah, me too. It used to just be the thing that I had to wear every day. And like now I'm, I'm a lot more free about it.
1: Yeah, it was definitely more like my formal, like if I'm, I guess, like work the office. I mean, I still wore bralettes to work, but like if I had a day where I had to feel like, I guess maybe like extra professional. I feel like I got to wear the
0: the underwire.
1: It's serious. It's serious time.
0: <laughs> Did that start with the pandemic for you?
1: No, that was like before the pandemic. Now I don't even wear them because I don't go into the office <laughs> anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe once I start going back in, I'll, I'll um... I don't think so. I think it'll be much like jeans. I used to love jeans. And now whenever I put on a pair of jeans, I'm kind of like, I think I'm gonna wear leggings
0: I heard or I read somewhere that people are calling jeans hard pants and like <laughs> people just don't want to wear hard pants anymore they should
1: well you know what's funny is that I have a beef with this is so like rabbit hole stuff but like de- denim because um, denim is not denim jeans are not made of actual denim anymore so they're not technically made of hard stuff although they should be kind of right um, but now I guess I that's
0: like, true, yeah, because they have spandex in them, right? I
1: can't do, yeah, I can't do. I have a beef with um stretchy jeans. I think that that's also kind of like I'd would ra- rather wear leggings or I'd rather <laughs> wear the jean, like as it as it has more not like hard hard jeans, but like you know.
0: Well, part of the reason why, since we are dorking out about jeans, part of the reason why that um they put spandex in jeans is that aside from people wanting this like super tight fit. A lot of times, like, if you look at, like, just straight cut real denim jeans that don't have any spandex in them, they look a lot bigger, even if it's the same size.
1: Yeah, I believe that, yeah.
0: And, like, people just don't want to buy – people are very vanity-focused sometimes when they buy things. If it looks bigger than they think it should be, they're not going to buy it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What was I going to say? Oh, and that makes me think of, like, uh, also, like, denim as a bra (laughs) – Oh my goodness, material, but then also, then I my mind really jumped to Britney Spears.
0: I was just gonna say that like, didn't Britney Spears wear a denim,
1: we, yeah, lingerie a was, corset was, or corset or something? Justin Timberlake. I just remember that outfit, it was like a denim corset, like, like
0: a bustier, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, a lot of the info that I got on our topic today on the history of bras, um, came from this one book that came out when I was in high school, so it's called Bra, A 1,000 Years of Style, Support, and Function by Stephanie Peterson. And this book has a lot of good info in it, but it also has a lot of quirks. (laughs) So um, it was written in 2004 and it shows. Um, A woman named Stephanie Peterson wrote it and she is a self-help author who has also written such classics like Shoes, What Every Woman Should Know, and Handbags, What Every Woman Should Know, And what your cat is trying to tell you. Um, So like I said, it, it came out in 2004 and it shows. It's full of images of all our favorite early 2000s Victoria's Secret angels, you know, like round, lifted and separated boobs, abs, sparkles, very different from what it looks like on Victoria's Secret website today. So we're definitely in different times
1: round. Wait, what did you just say? Round, separate and lifted. That's just what the name of the book should have been. Round, <laughs> separate
0: and lifted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, it's it's bananas because I don't really think of 2004 as that long ago, but it really was almost 20 years ago. So Alyssa, I'd love for you to read a quote from this book that to me is just hilarious when you look at it in 2022.
1: OK, Um bra a thousand years of style support and function by stephanie peterson many fashion experts go as far as see i already have to start over oh my god
0: (laughs) it's an awkward sentence it's just once you start it'll be
1: well you know what also threw me is i got in my own head i almost started going i I can't i have no attention span oh my god peterson i was thinking it was gonna be spelled with a t and i saw the d and it threw me (laughs) yeah okay okay bra a thousand years of style support and function by stephanie peterson many fashion experts go as far as suggesting an entire bra wardrobe in a range of styles ensuring you are equipped for every occasion even your everyday bra should be pretty and clean be honest are you still wearing that grotty gray number you had on last night get rid of it when the gorgeous guy hits you like a truck on an impromptu night out you don't want to spoil the spontaneity just because you're wearing bridget jones's pants and a mismatched manky bra <laughs> or when that gormless better. guy <laughs> yeah, wait, what? oh my god i'm sorry or when that gormless guy hits you with a truck you you know you don't want that dreamboat doctor to cut away your designer clothes only to reveal grimy gray skivvies underneath of course what's under your undies has got to look good too add a sports bra to your shopping list it will help reduce exercise induced sagging and embarrassing bounce oh my god that's (laughs) this was your wait. this was your required reading in school
0: no, I bought this book on my own. <laughs> I like I when people still went out and bought books and didn't just At the Google Scholastic things. Scholastic
1: book fair. I feel like yeah. oh my god, Scholastic book fairs. I I hope those still happen for kids because that was like the the best part of my school
0: week. <laughs> so yeah, so that's a crazy quote. And honestly, I. The rest of the book has a lot of little gems like this, but there's also some really good information. Like she really did her research, but when she says- I could
1: spend spend, like this whole podcast just ripping apart, (laughs) like making fun of, this is like just pure, like uh, stand-up comedian fodder, I feel like.
0: Like, can you imagine someone saying something like that today?
1: No, clean Your bra, everyday bra should be pretty. (laughs) I mean- (laughs) Yeah, I want it to be pretty, but it's like, does that need to be, I don't know, stated? In a well,
0: <laughs> I, I'd love to find out how many bras most bra wearers have versus how many they actually wear every day. So I counted on my side and I own 28, but I actually wear maybe three of them. And honestly, that's 28 underwire bras. I didn't even count my seamless bras because I get those for free. So like, I just, I have tons of those. Um, yeah, you're, but
1: you're, I was going to say though, yeah, you must have like a big collection. Because oh of- yeah.
0: I'm not the, I'm not the regular like data sample. Cause, but I actually wear maybe three of those bras and I would guess based on like zero actual data that my number is only high because I happen to design bras. Mm-hmm. How many do you think you own, Alyssa? That's such a great question. Um, ballpark,
1: <laughs> um, um, I'm panicking. Uh, I'm also trying to do some, like, sort of a calculation in my head, like, trying to imagine what's, like, I'm looking, you can see I'm, like, making eye contact with where they are. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I probably have, like, um, I probably have, like, 10 to 20. And I probably wear... Well, I mostly live in sports bras these days, and that is literally because of the pandemic and just like serious. Like, I
0: work out every day, and I don't want to change my bra for the workouts. Well, that's that's good because it helps reduce exercise-induced sagging and embarrassing bounce. (laughs)
1: Um, yes, that's that's good for me, I guess.
0: Um, Do you have like one go-to bra that you wear most of the time? Like, like laundry day, you're like, yes, the bra, the bra's clean.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I have favorites, and I'll wear I'll wear my bras multiple times too. Like, I, I. Unless I'm, like, and well, unless I'm, like, sweating and working out. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, no, I, I wear them multiple times, and I definitely have, like, a handful of my, like, go-tos. And, honestly, if one is, like, on its way out from a look standpoint, and it still is, like, my favorite for comfort, I'm gonna still wear it sorry Stephanie I don't care if that sexy doctor has to cut my non-designer clothes off of my body and see and I'm I'm not caring what he has to see and deal with um and I'm not embarrassed about it either it's you know it's it's comfort over
0: <laughs> so personally lately I've been wearing this one cup bra that one of our guests recommended to us but I kind of go through phases sorry there's a dog barking outside that's okay um, which
1: one which bra was it um,
0: so it's the, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a single layer molded mesh and it has, it's like super thin and it's basically as close to a bralette as you can get without, with an underwire.
1: Okay. So
0: it's like, it's supportive, but it's still like your natural breast shape.
1: Is it the cup? Or yeah.
0: C-U-U-P it? cup. Oh
1: yeah. I love know. cup. I, but I will say sizing is a little tricky. Weird.
0: But yeah. 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 But, yeah. Um, yeah. But honestly, that's everybody. Like we, we really want to do an episode on bra size revisited, just because both Alyssa and I have done like a ton of just personal research of like, wow, I'm not the same size in any brand.
1: And I still have not done the actual like growth, though. Of and no pun intended. I guess is that a pun? I don't know. Uh, I have done no growth to actually like remedy my lack of knowledge of my bra size. That's okay.
0: It's complicated.
1: I still. It's just so guessed. complicated order get it and I decide if it's easy enough to exchange if the sizing is off
0: that's really all you can do because um I actually like I was looking at different companies and the range of bra size that I'm in is just nuts it's like I'm not surprised people are confused
1: (laughs) yeah definitely definitely a topic worth revisiting I think we can uh yeah I'm still
0: getting used to like my post-pandemic body so I haven't found like the perfect all-day bra yet but i'm in i'm still like in that mindset that i have to contain them and not really because of like a patriarchy thing or anything just because like they, they get in the way comfort yeah <laughs> yeah and like they swing around clothes aren't really designed for like natural what did britney say natural swang and titties <laughs> um <laughs> and like and the bouncing you know it's not really embarrassing but it's 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 such a uniquely human problem to have to support our breasts because most other animals they don't have visible breasts all the time and ours are just out there we got to do something with them so yeah. then that got me curious when did we actually start wearing bras um you know we know somebody discovered fire someone invented the wheel when were humans just like someone please help me contain these things
1: yeah and the the real question i would have is was it you know did did a woman go i need something or did a man go y-? yeah I'm
0: doing this for you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it seems like in the beginning it was mostly like a utility thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when women started wearing bras, but there's evidence going back thousands of years of some type of garment supporting breasts. So going way, way back, all the way back to the bronze age. So between 3,300 and 1200 BC, there are these like illustrations of early Germanic tribes, where the women would bind their breasts in animal skin or cloth to keep their breasts in place while they're working, like out in the farm or whatever. Uh, Um, But in that... Back
1: in the Bronze Age.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, but in that same time period, though, on the other side of the world, it was common for ancient Egyptian women to have one or both breasts, like, totally exposed. Um, They used to wear this garment called a calisiris that was basically an ankle length, just tube of fabric that sat below the breasts and it was held up by belts or shoulder straps or strips of cloth. Some styles covered the breasts, some didn't. Um, and Alyssa, I actually have a photo of it that I'm going to show God, you. Thank God, I
1: was just about to ask for a visual like because you had ankle leg. I'm like, what is this?
0: You didn't think we'd go a whole episode without a record scratch, did you? We're going to be talking about a lot of different images this episode. So, if you want to follow along, head on over to our Instagram at the very breast pod where we'll be posting the images in order that we talk about them. And give us a like while you're there. Well, it could be ankle length, it could be like mid calf, but um, I feel like I've seen this exact dress at like Urban Outfitters. I'm sure. I'm sure. So, how um, would you describe this?
1: I, like, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> right. but I'm like, it kind of looks like, yeah, like a, a loosely fitting, like, wrap dress or... Um, like
0: her overalls, right? And the straps are kind of, like, between her boobs. A
1: caftan with some wraparound structure. I mean, I think I'm going to see this on the runway in the next uh, couple years. Ancient Egypt is amazing, though. Like, just shout yeah. out to them. Yeah. They, that society was, like, ahead of the game. Um, yeah,
0: so most of what I found was that ancient Egypt was just a lot of, like, tits out and yes. I found another version of the garment that was just like a piece of fabric wrapped around the body.
1: Yeah. This um, looks like a like a really like comfortable, like it's snug for your body and like gives you support right where you need it. And
0: mm-hmm. I yeah, I and mean, like it's hot in yeah. Egypt. I don't want like a lot of layers and stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I bet I bet the materials they made this stuff out of was like epic too. So the urban outfitters was made out of some sort of like poly blend this was probably like
0: this was like usually linen or flax yes exactly flax yeah (laughs) um but the thing is that in some of these illustrations you can see they're even see-through so even if the breasts are covered like it just was normal to just see boobs out
1: yeah like nobody cared it was like probably I mean well who knows I don't want to say probably anything but yeah
0: that's cool no it was totally normal you're right Um, So then in 2500 BC in Crete, if you've ever taken like an art history class, you've definitely seen this statue. So there's this really famous statue of a snake goddess where she's got these two snakes up, holding these two snakes up in the air and her boobs are out. And it's believed that this statue, this was basically the fashion at the time. And the device that this woman is wearing is, well, the device, the garment this woman is wearing is called a mastoides. And I did try to find how to pronounce it. That's my best guess. Um, so if how any it, ancient.
1: Mastoedes?
0: M-A-S-T-O-E-I-D-E-S. Okay, okay. When I, when I tried to find um, how to pronounce it, I got a lot of videos on how to pronounce Massachusetts. Oh, okay.
1: Actually, oh, I think, <laughs> and then just add Wheaties to the end. Mast- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Massa Wheaties.
0: So. How would you? How would you? If you had to guess what she's wearing, like up in her waist, underneath her boobs, Alyssa, what would you guess?
1: I, I mean, that reminds no wrong answers. Of, uh, it reminds me of a corset
0: more than exactly.
1: a bra. I mean, her boobs are out, and she looks like her waist looks. I don't know if they were just trying to accentuate her skinny waist, or if the the device she's wearing. <laughs> I did it too. No, you're I mean, actually
0: you're spot made, on, Alyssa. We like, live. It is
1: a device. We live. We also live in the age of like um, fashion and garments becoming a little bit like tech technified so like there's yeah yeah well you're
0: you're spot on because you you got it exactly right so i read that this was like an ancient push-up bra because it basically what this is is it looks a lot like a corset it's made of linen or like a soft leather um and they basically were like a dress with this super super tight corset fitted bodice on top that pushed the breast just completely out of the clothing um, I'm not sure if there were like some type of wires or something holding up the breasts, but if you look at like the top part of this garment, it looks like, it looks like an underwire with no cups. Yeah. Um, but I did find, and you got this one right too, they, it was really common for them to use like leather rings to constrict their waist. And actually men wore a garment like this too. So they yeah. it was common for them to constrict their waist also. So I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, let's share that
0: pain. Yeah, <laughs> um, that that happens a few more times in history where men and women are both wearing corsets.
1: This is when I get, like, so I'll nerd out over ancient Egypt and just, like, how, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, were they perfect? Hell no, and there's, you know, I'm not, like, an ancient Egypt expert or anything, but, like, you know, they had female leaders and that was just accepted, you know? Like, it was just mm-hmm. so much more, like, less... It seems, at least now, like, there wasn't any, like uprage, you know, and then here we are, you know, in the US and we still have not had a female leader is like, yeah, it's kind of, um, so then like in
0: 1500 BC, a few, a thousand years later, um, there's a lot of like ancient statues and paintings depicting women topless in India, but then a garment called a choli appears and women basically wrapped unstitched cloth really tightly around their breasts to keep them small and tight. So I didn't dive too deep into this one, but modern day saris actually have a version of this garment still. So let's skip ahead a few thousand years to the third century in the Holy Roman Empire.
1: That was Um, interesting though, that you just said, so um, those were right around the same time or how? About like a thousand years later. Okay. Cause it's just interesting when you go into like different parts of the world and to see sort of like the similar, you know, no communication. They didn't know what was going on. With each other, right? Because it's not the age of the internet where they had constant access. Exactly, yeah. So it's just interesting to see like the the humanity sort of like I don't know like
0: invent these concepts. This Around. dichotomy of like, bind them down, set them free, bind them down, let them out.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like how it pertains to cultural uh, aspects, but also just like the the idea of like invention as well and like to make our, hopefully mm-hmm. our lives better, more comfortable, you know, whatever it may be.
0: Well, and, and it's interesting you said that because like this concept of the garments that are holding you in. Being like fashionable versus comfortable, like that changes so much. Fashionable versus functional. I mean, that changes so much throughout yeah. history. Because bra design, it's really engineering. You know, it's like you're 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 really trying to contain everything. So if you look at this picture that um, I am showing you now, there's this really famous mosaic called the Bikini Mosaic. It's in Sicily, and it's from the uh, it's from like the third or fourth century. Um, and Alyssa, what do you see in this picture?
1: I mean, honestly, this is amazing. I think this is a picture of me in my house the other day. Um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> uh, it's I would you well what they're wearing. I, I don't know. Immediately, I was like, are they playing badminton? They're playing like it's about three women, and they're playing or like, they look like they're being active in some. Yeah, way. they're doing like, sports. Them, yeah, one of them has like barbells. The other has like a disc. So yeah, three women, very active, uh, wearing bandeau top. Bathing suits and like low-waisted bikini style bottoms. Um, yeah. They're, yeah, they look like they're having a, a pretty good time.
0: Yeah. So, what I think is interesting, like, basically, they're basically wearing strapless bandeau bras. And what, like, like Alyssa said, one of them's got dumbbells in her hand, the other one's throwing a discus. Like, they're doing sports. And what I think is interesting about these is that the bras these athletes are wearing, they're really about function. And nowadays, if you think of a strapless bra, they're not functional. You would never wear one to a gym. But here, I would guess that they're wrapped really tight around their breasts. It's probably made of like linen or leather. And they're really just there to keep the breasts moving in unison with the body. Um, And that's the ultimate goal of modern sports bras. These are basically the first recorded sports bras. And these ladies, they're lifting weights, they're throwing discus, they they can't have their boobs in the way. Let's skip way ahead. And there's this story that's told a lot about the first bra being made of these two handkerchiefs that were sewn together, like end of the 1800s, turn of the 20th century. And we'll get to that. But in 2008, these four garments were found in Austria's Langberg castle that after being carbon dated were discovered to be from the 1400s. So like right before, right beginning of the Renaissance. And they called these garments proto braziers, like prototype braziers. And two of them looked a lot like what we would call a bra today. So, Alyssa, I'm showing you a picture now. And if you look on the right side of the image, you'll see that there's like a piece of fabric that looks like this may have been part of like a larger bodice type garment. But we've got shaped cups, we've got straps. This looks a lot like a bra.
1: It definitely does. I mean, also, it just looks like a beautiful, like, in its day, it probably was an amazing garment. <laughs> yeah, you
0: can't really tell from, like, the photo, but there's actually even, like, embroidery and, like, some remnants of lace
1: on it. Yeah, and uh, like you said, it's like, I must have been sewed into something, but it, the, the shape as it is now looks like a sweet, almost like a sweetheart neckline. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's
0: am- amazing.
1: Also, the straps actually look really comfortable.
0: Yeah. They're nice and thick and cushy. (laughs) So after this, these eras of like pseudo bras came what we, what I think most people think of as like the bras predecessor, the corset. Or maybe just me because I'm a garment nerd. So let's start super, super basic with what exactly is a corset. And I think most of us have a basic idea of what a corset looks like. It's a super tight fitting, like bodice type garment. And often it's laced onto the wearer. It's cinched super, super tight around the waist to literally shape the waist and the torso. It can support the breasts or not. So it can flatten the breasts out or sit underneath them or literally hold them up or it can just sit around the waist and ignore the breasts altogether. And a defining feature that these corsets have is they have these channels that are either sewn, sewn onto the garment with separate strips of fabric, or they're literally made out of the layers of fabric of the actual corset. And most of the time corsets are made of like um, two or three layers of fabric and then like literal like padding in between the layers. So that's why they're so thick. Mm-hmm. Um, and inside those channels, they put boning. And nowadays, the bones are usually plastic for cheaper corsets or um, something called spiral boning, which is this really cool, like, bendy um, rod that they stick in there to make the, the garment flat. I'm sorry, to make, to make the garment stiff. But back then, they were usually made of literal bones. So whale bones, usually, or baleen. Um, but they could also be made of metal or wood. Um, and it's a term that nowadays has been used to include any top that looks like a corset, like a bustier or something. But genuine corsets are usually fitted specifically to the wearer and they'll they'll tighten over time. So at the beginning of the Middle Ages, there really wasn't any true corset wearing. So a lot of times bones or wood planks called stays were sewn directly into the garment for shaping. I actually read about this one type of corset in the 1200s in an area called Circassia, which today is part of Russia on the Black Sea, where girls wore these very tight, very elaborate corsets that had these two wooden planks strapped across their chest with leather binding. And they were designed to keep the breasts, rib cages, and waist from growing. So they were worn like during adolescent times, and they were worn day and night, even during bathing and sleeping. Oh oh yeah I too. Mean, also, uh
1: also there's a lot of like when you first were describing it there's like BDSM like popped into my oh, head oh yeah yeah I'm corsets sorry. nowadays
0: are, are mostly like a kink thing yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, no,
1: but interesting like and also ew there's like but why would you how can you feel clean like if you're bathing I don't know
0: <laughs> I read it compared I read about it being compared to like Chinese foot binding
1: yeah yeah it sounds, so, I mean, because it's like to prevent growth and stuff. Oh,
0: yeah, it, it sounds incredibly painful, and for the life of me, I could not find an illustration of one. So, if anyone out there sees one, please send it to us.
1: Yeah, barbaric. Was it something that I wonder? Like, so was it like a fashion trend or like that, that's the stuff where I'm like, who, who made that popular and who? Well, like bought into it
0: <laughs> I'll talk about this more later too but basically like aside from it being fashionable the idea of corsets ends up becoming like a cultural thing to like um kind of keep women restrained
1: I was gonna say yeah there because they're yeah. as we were talking about doing just this episode in general I thought so much about you know when you think of the complexity of the the business behind like bras and stuff you just get so much into like control over women and their their yeah. own sort of like um, body confidence and like why we wear what we're wearing for who you know is it for us is it for a man or somebody else or
0: and these garments they end up becoming coming like uh symbols of feminism you know like you one when one takes the place of another one a lot of times there's this element running through of like okay we're free now we're getting rid of this restrictive garment And yeah it's it's in really interesting <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's what happened with bras yeah exactly So um, in Europe, during medieval times, necklines were high and breasts were like hidden away for the most part. But as time went on, tailors started to learn more like complicated techniques and started to make these garments that had more shape to them. And women would show off their waists and they wore these bodices or stays over their blouses and full skirts underneath that sucked in their waist and flattened their breasts. The look was just flat, flat like a board. Yeah. So then the Renaissance rolls around in the 1400s and there's this new appreciation for beauty and breasts begin to be really eroticized in a way that they hadn't been before, at least not publicly. So specifically, upper class breasts, the ones who had never breastfed and were still round and perky. So necklines start to get lower, so low, in fact, that the breasts and nipples even begin to be exposed. And there's this really famous painting um, of a woman all dressed up in a navy blue velvet dress with lacing up the front. And the lacing is loosened at the top and her left boob is peeking out. That's a beautiful, so beautiful this woman was called Agnes Sorel, And she was the mistress of this French king, Charles VII. And actually a few portraits I found of her had her left boob peeking out. There's one of her with a baby that to be honest, up until this time, I had no idea who it was. I never really thought about it, but I've seen this painting a million times, yeah. and I say that the boob is peeking out, but it's really just it's really just out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the I story we goes. Have the same woman. Same woman, yeah. Oh
1: wow.
0: Yeah. Um, different painters, obviously, but what I really think is interesting, like the whole thing with her breasts, is that she had these like beautiful globe breasts, and that was like the beauty standard then. Yeah. So the story goes, she creates this stir one day and arrives at the French court wearing a dress that fully exposed her breasts. Now, remember, she's the mistress of the king. She's not the queen. So her breasts are just, they're just out there. And a lot of women at court start following her example. They open up their bodices and they create this kind of shelf for their breasts to sit on and just be displayed. Okay, and Regina, the, George. <laughs> And the story is she had these like, like I said, perfect round globes like these beautiful breasts. So she kind of creates this new standard for French women to live up to in terms of the shape of their bodies, tiny waist tits out. And at this point, French women were already wearing tight fitting silhouettes with these stiff undergarments underneath called corsets to give them the fashionable like teeny tiny waist. Basically, that garment that was worn over blouses a couple hundred years ago now had become underwear and they were made of muslin or linen and it was stiffened with basically like glue and lace and it had lacing in the front or the back, usually the back because they had maids to tighten them um, to the desired shape. And of course, then it had bones sewn in to, to really to really stiffen that up and create that shape. So then in the next century, in the 1500s, French court takes this hard right turn and the wife of soon to be King of France, Henry II, issues this edict banning thick wastes at court. That's Catherine de' Medici. So she issues this edict and no more thick wastes. We cannot have thick wastes at court. Normal wastes became something that, that only happened to poor people and corsets get tighter and tighter and tighter. And the fashion starts spreading to the rest of Europe. And noble women were compressing not only their waists, but also their breasts. The look was skinny waist, as skinny as 13 inches. Like that's crazy. Like I don't think my thigh is 13 inches. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's gross. And just yeah.
0: so as the waists are getting skinnier, the look is like these high set small breasts. And I included this picture on the right, which is a photograph. It's obviously not from the 1500s, but it's from like a pattern of how to make an Elizabethan corset. And the reason I included it is if you look at her boobs, you can kind of see they're starting to get pushed up and out, Mm -hmm. even though they're still being compressed. And there were different variations of this throughout Europe. In Spain, this thing called a busk, Was invented, which is basically a wooden rod or bone that was just stuck into the center front of the corset to flatten the shape out even more. And then in France and Germany and Italy, the style was slightly softer to allow for like some wider hips, but they were still cinching in their waist. Um, And then this ideal starts to trickle into like common folks' wardrobes too, who wore like secondhand or cheaper DIY corsets that were made with wood strips or reeds. with the invention of the buskin and as it spread around Europe, waist and rib cages, they're becoming smaller and smaller so that women's torsos are getting this sort of like inverted cone shape. And as everything gets tighter, breasts are getting pushed farther and farther up and they're coming out of the corsets again. So if you look at paintings from this time, you can kind of see the top of breasts are starting to get exposed again. Necklines go back down and now we're back to an era of exposed or almost exposed breasts again. Nipples are welcome to the party again
1: boobs are like you can't keep us down we're coming out the top
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's literally just like they're just traveling up the body and then coming back down and
1: like <laughs> you won't keep us you won't keep us hidden
0: so like I said nipples are, are welcome to the party again and this trend continues into the late 1700s um and I have this picture up of Marie Antoinette and she's got this really famous look of just this like exposed mono boob, like the idea was like having, I keep like pushing my boobs up to try and illustrate it, but like she, the idea was having this like gentle swell of a breast right above your corset. um, And that may have had a nipple or two exposed, um, maybe not, it just depended on if the woman was comfortable with it or not. Then suddenly at the end of the 1700s, we have the French Revolution and fashion turns around completely again. And in reaction to the excess of like French aristocracy and and um, you know um, excess and all that, fashion goes completely the other way, and those big hooped skirts and tiny corsets go away. And women like Empress Josephine, who I'm showing you a picture of right now, um, Napoleon's wife, she starts wearing these lighter empire waist dresses and basically camisoles underneath. So they kind of support the breasts, but without actually shaping or binding them. Mm-hmm. So think of like Pride and Prejudice, like what the girls are wearing in those in those movies. It's, it's that look, like that columnar, like, is that how you pronounce that? Column-like <laughs> shape with like basically a cami underneath.
1: I'm here and
0: if you look at paintings from this time, you can actually almost kind of see it. Uh-huh it's not really a support garment. It's like an undershirt.
1: Yeah. This is beautiful. I'm like, yeah, give me this.
0: (laughs) This doesn't last very long though, (laughs) but this is the first time in centuries, basically like 500 years that breasts are just truly set free again.
1: I wonder, Um, do you know, like, so this woman or like when this came into style, so was it, I mean, was it feminism or was it, you know, like how was it? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't viewed that way because I think-
0: I think there was probably like a thread of feminism, but for the most part, it was uh, more like, um, it was more about like rejecting the excess of the French aristocracy because the revolution had just happened and having all these like, you know, sumptuous layers and layers of fabric, these big hoops, these big excess, like that's just, that was just like against all the ideals of the French revolution. I like it embracing
1: minimalism as a way to rebel.
0: A little more background info here. The fashion era that I'm talking about is called neoclassicism. And in addition to it being an attempt at distancing yourself from the French aristocracy, it was also really heavily influenced by excavations that had happened in Pompeii and Herculaneum in the mid-1700s. If you look at the garment, it does really look like those classical ancient Greek dresses that we see in statues and artwork. The fashion itself is also a testament to the greater cultural movement that was happening at the time towards individuality. It was easier to move in, lighter, more hygienic since it could be changed and washed more often. Fabrics in women's fashion at the time were so light to the point of being sheer. And that allowed the human form to be more visible. So to that extent, there definitely is some feminism threaded through this whole movement Since the mechanics of these garments themselves gave women more agency in freedom of movement, comfort, and individuality. I would would guess that there was an element of feminism in it because this is certainly a lot more comfortable.
1: Yeah, probably wasn't written down or, you know, like that wasn't the driving factor, but it was like this fringe benefit.
0: So that trend didn't last very long. And in the 1800s, women go back to corsets. So we go back to these tight, tight corsets that were not only fashionable, but were considered a way to perpetuate this like increasingly uptight nature of the culture back then. The idea was to teach women self-restraint. So if you didn't have the correct undergarments, you could be regarded as a loose woman. And Um, on top of that,
1: you need to be taught restraint. I mean,
0: right. Like, I, I don't even know how I manage without without. Uh, yeah
1: I mean like honestly no I don't know I can't I can't even joke about it it's just like it's so preposterous it's just like ugh, uh,
0: yeah so on top of that now corsets were being laced up the front so even working class women were able to get them because they could lace them up themselves yeah. and the idea was basically to contort women into this sort of s shape and there was also this concept that your size shouldn't be bigger than your age. And it wasn't fashionable to have a waist above 21 inches.
1: Do we know how many inches Barbie's waist is supposed to be? Did you ever see that? Like there, there I'm sure there's some stuff out there that's like, remember, she was like unsupported. She was supposed to be like anatomically completely incorrect. I think Barbie, but I wonder, cause you were throwing out that number of like the 13 inch ugh, waist tiny, uh, or 21 inches. I just wonder where Barbie would sit.
0: Okay, so if Barbie were a real person, she would be 5'9", weigh 110 pounds, have an 18-inch waist, and be unable to lift her head or walk upright because of her proportions. Also, Alyssa and I are millennials, so these are 1990s Barbie stats. Well, I don't know where Barbie would sit, but just for reference, um, these are the corsets, they, Ooh, like this crazy I'm, S like, shape.
1: looking at it.
0: And Kim Kardashian has a 24-inch waist.
1: She, I feel like, though, like, she, well, I mean, you know, uh, she has such a curvy body, but like, she's not wearing a corset, right, in this picture?
0: She wears a lot of shapewear but she says yeah yeah yeah, and i have thoughts about that too but she has um she does i mean she's got like a nutritionist and and a ton of personal trainers and all that but she has said that naturally without shape where her waist is 24 inches 1800s this extreme hourglass thing becomes the fashion the norm it's what everybody is doing and it's called tight lacing and basically You're just lacing up this corset as tight as you possibly can. And it's just generally not great for women. This is the tightest corsets have ever been. And women just have this bad habit of having internal organs. So they would smush their waist and their breasts into these tiny shapes. And it caused lung capacity to be reduced, which resulted in a lot of fainting. Internal organs were shoved out of place. And that could cause like a protruding belly that was then further smushed down by something called a spoon busk. And a spoon busk is like the busk that we had before, but this time it has like a big rounded bottom so that it really just smushes that protruding belly with like your intestines and stuff in it, even further down. Um, Women would crack ribs. um, Those would pierce their organs. (laughs) Like there was also this problem where mothers who wore corsets sometimes weren't able to breastfeed. Miscarriages were really common. Um, Women actually died basically as time went on the corset was becoming less and less popular and with good reason like women were just starting to reject it
1: yeah we're like you know yeah at first i could deal with it but now i'm not gonna deal with this (laughs) yeah thank god so in
0: 1869 this french woman named amini cadol and i am not french so i'm sure i'm pronouncing that wrong but she (laughs) <laughs> she revolutionizes the corset industry and invents this new garment called a corselet gorge. Um, she basically just splits the garment in half. So, um, I have the patent image up on the screen for you, Alyssa. It's the one on the top right, and then on, on the left is like a recreation of this garment. Um, so it's called the corselet gorge, and the bottom half is still like your basic corset, not quite as tight. Um, but the top half supports your breast using, wait for it, shoulder straps. So from the sketches, it looks like the bra part is still made up of like a lot of strips of, of fabric, maybe some boning. Um, but this concept was considered pretty revolutionary and it was freeing. Yeah. So she ends up filing a patent and she presents her invention in 1900 at the French equivalent of the World's Fair. And by 1905, the bra portion of her invention was being sold as its own thing. Mm -hmm. So she changed the name to the Bien Etre, or the Mm Well-Being. And it was actually marketed as a health aid in France, but it, it never really took off. Although, fun fact, the lingerie brand she started, Cadeau of Paris, it does still exist, and you can shop their product on their website.
1: I'm going to Paris next month, so maybe I'll try and do a field trip.
0: So there were actually a few different people who say that they invented the bra, at the dawn of the 20th century. It all kind of happened like towards the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 20th century. This must so, have to
1: do with like patents and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that all
0: of them like, issued patents, yeah. Patent
1: law, yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So in 1893 in the US, this woman named Marie Tusik files a patent on this thing she calls a breast supporter. So now this looks a lot more like something we might call a bra today than Amine's invention. It has cups that Marie called pockets. It has shoulder straps that are secured with hooks and eyes. And the breasts are supported from underneath with like a metal plate. But if I'm understanding the sketch correctly, it's backless and the cups are sort of like, they're half cups. There's no way to cover up the nipples. If you look at the patent sketch, you can actually see that like the cup is only halfway up her boob. Her her whole breast is pretty much out. They're supported, but they're exposed. Yeah, yeah. So then in 1913, um, a 19 year old woman named Mary Phelps Jacob, a New York socialite, And this is the story I always heard about the first bra. She files her own patent. So she has this sheer evening gown with like a plunging neckline that she wants to wear to a party, but her corset just doesn't work with it. It's creating bumps and you can just see the whole thing under her dress. So she takes two silk handkerchiefs and with the help of her maid, sews them together with some pink ribbon and creates a breast supporting garment that from the sketch, it kind of looks like an apron basically the handkerchiefs they're cut into these trapezoids they're sewn together at the center front on one of the long sides and then the ribbons function like straps and an underband for the bra
1: okay it looks like a halter top from delia circa like 1990s like yeah it a does belly, <laughs> a belly halter top backless the backless shirts were in this is so from the 90s like I know. it needs like
0: a bandana print
1: yeah 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 exactly or like <laughs> the butterflies or i don't know something like But definitely that's what that looks like to me.
0: Yeah. So the patent sketch definitely looks like that. It's backless. Um, It kind of graduates into a more bra-like shape as she develops it. You can kind of see this picture is her holding it up.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So she makes this garment and her friends and family start asking her to make one for them. They love it. And one day a stranger offers to buy one off her and she sells it to her for a dollar. And in 1914, a year later, she ends up filing a patent for the device and she calls it a backless brazier. And this is the first time that we see the word brazier being used. And brazier comes from an old French word for upper arm. Yeah. So she sees this business opportunity and she starts selling her invention under the name Caress Crosby. Mm-hmm. Um, she ends up selling her invention to the Warner Brothers Bra company, and which
1: got I- to become a porn star.
0: I think she um she actually just continued being a lingerie designer, but Caress oh, Crosby is a name? great- What
1: did you say her name the, under the name Caress Crosby? Caress like...
0: Crosby. That was like her stage name. <laughs> I am
1: Caress Crosby and I'm going to be auditioning for the part of um, Pepsi <laughs> Bunny. I don't know.
0: <laughs> um, so she ends up selling her invention to the Warner Brothers Bra Company for $1,500, which was oh, a buttload Warner of money Brothers back a, then. Warner Brothers
1: had their hand in bras at some point.
0: Yeah, I need to do like a deep dive on that. And yeah, is that out what the same there, but...
1: Warner Brothers or is it it's different? It's gotta it be. be different. It could be different, but
0: they are not related. Warner Brothers Entertainment is a film company that was founded in eighteen eighty-nine by brothers Henry, Albert, Sam, and Jack Warner, and the Warner Brothers Corset Company was founded by a physician named Dr. Lucien Warner and his brother Ira in eighteen seventy-four. In eighteen seventy-six The doctors invented a corset they called Dr. Warner's Health Corset. This corset featured shoulder straps and ditched constrictive bones and metal in favor of a fiber they named Coraline, which comes from a Mexican fiber called Ixtle. Ixtle is spelled I-X-T-L-E, and more than likely I've pronounced it incorrectly. It comes from plants like agave and yucca, And it's basically a flexible, wiry fiber that nowadays is most often used in brushes. It's still basically a corset, but it's nice to know at least some men were looking out for women's health back then. Which is more than I can say for what's going on today. The Warner Brothers Bra Company would eventually become the Warnico Company. They're responsible for a lot of brands that we know and love today, including, well, Warners, and the Calvin Klein License for Intimate Apparel. (laughs) So they end up selling some version of her design over the next 30 years and her version of the bra ends up becoming really popular, but not until after World War I, because that's when women were urged to stop buying corsets to conserve metal. So I read that when that decree was issued by like the War Industries Board, that 28,000 pounds of metal ends up being saved just from not making corsets. And that's enough to build two battleships. So... Once women turned to bras, or really, I should say, returned to bras, since we know they did exist once upon a time, they just were not going back. They weren't going back to corsets. Fashions were changing too. So designers like Paul Poirier were designing these streamlined, slinky dresses that were becoming more popular, dresses that corsets just didn't work with. And meanwhile, women were starting to enter the workforce to fill voids left by men going off to war. We had women in munitions factories, offices, driving trams, delivering mail. They needed underwear that allowed for easy movement, but still contained the boobs. Um, The suffragette movement was in full swing and paving the way for the 19th Amendment. Feminists of this era just didn't have time for undergarments that restricted them so much they couldn't even bend at the waist. Yes, this
1: is actually from the 20s.
0: This is from the 20s. I skipped That's ahead so a little. I'm sorry. It
1: looks like, I mean, it looks like it's from the 20s, but it also almost looks like it's from, like, maybe the 60s trying to be yeah. the 20s or something. Like, it has such a, I would, I don't know. It's just, I'm floored by that. Okay.
0: Well, it might be, like, remastered or something. I didn't, I don't have credit for this photo. I should, I should. Well, yeah, that. but it also
1: just has more to do, I feel like, with, like, yeah, definitely the quality of the photo. But, um, mm-hmm. but just in general, like, I don't know, her makeup, her hair, like, it, I don't know. Yeah, like if you didn't if I didn't know it was from the 20s, I wouldn't I would have loved to see what what uh, like decade I would have guessed it was
0: from. Yeah, so the suffragette movement was in full swing. It's paving the way for the 19th Amendment. And feminists just didn't have time for undergarments that restricted them so much that they couldn't even bend at the waist. And although we might not think of it that way today, the bra at this time was an ultra feminist liberating garment. It had been around at this point for almost 30 years, but society and mass was finally ready to accept it. Yeah. So over the next hundred years of the 20th century, that back and forth swing of bind them up, set them free, bind them up, set them free, that used to take centuries to happen kind of happens in like rapid fire fashion. Like each decade we have a new silhouette that follows that same trajectory. In the twenties, we had our famous flappers and the boyish look was like the it thing. And as women were entering the workforce and taking on more traditional male roles, the look was flat, flat again. But instead of corsets constricting women's busts and cracking their ribs, if they wore bras at all, they looked more like camisoles that flattened out the breasts for like an androgynous look. And some women were even using bandages to bind their breasts down. And I found this one ad from Dr. Jean Walter promising to quote, reduce your flesh in the ad the woman's wearing what looks like a strapless bra made of rubber and for just five dollars they promise to make the flesh on your bust positively disappear. Ew. Yeah it's gross. <laughs> I like that
1: it says um rubber garments for men and women.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like skinny this is when skinny starts to be the it thing so like women who might have been you know curvy women who might have been sex symbols a couple decades before now we're kind of considered fat.
1: It's so annoying. It's just like, can we just all, can can it all be beautiful? All of it at once. Why why do we have to pick one, like?
0: Do you feel like (sighs) we're kind of in that stage now, though? Like, I think we're kind of entering that.
1: Uh, Well, I think we're, yeah. I think that that hopefully we're entering that. I mean, like, it, it feels living through it it's hard to tell but like it does feel like there's an active push of like there's the body acceptance movement and things Mm -hmm. like that and it's sort of like still shifting around like what that actually looks like but um i just hope we don't get lost in the sort of like the hustle of the internet with it um i love it and i love that you put that on the slide i just love androgyny in general like that yeah
0: that was like the thing was was androgyny and this was really the first time that women were not like hyper feminized as the fashion yeah um so at this time, a whole slew of new bras were invented, including a strapless one in 1926. So for the first time, women were trying to give the impression that they were naked under their clothes. Oh. Um so then in 1927, made in form oh, a... under we
1: clothes. <laughs> what? <laughs> I said, are we all naked under our clothes?
0: Yeah, I kind of thought that too, but more like, you know, yeah. I'm wearing a strapless dress I want and I can't to see look anything at underneath. Me
1: and think of my nudity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So then in 1927, a company called Maidenform starts selling bras with this crazy new invention, cups, cups that separate the breasts and actually follow the form of the body instead of biting the breasts down or shoving them up on a pedestal. So the story goes that a designer named Ida Rosenthal got tired of seeing her clients ruin the look of these expensive dresses. She was making them with the wrong undergarment. So she sets about making these custom bras with cups and she uses seams, darts, shirring, snap fasteners just to create this like perfect fit. And she gives one away for free to each of her clients with their dress. She ends up also inventing the modern cup sizing system at the time only going up to a size D. Um, I thought this was funny, though. The old timey method of measuring cup sizes was with the fruit method. So A cups were half lemons, B cups were half oranges, C cups were half grapefruits, and D cups were half melons.
1: Interesting. I'm trying to think of what size I would be based on that.
0: Uh, I think I'm like a large cantaloupe. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I don't uh, I don't know. I have such a work perception of my small <laughs> cantaloupes for me, I guess. Small, but there has to be small cantaloupes. What was the next size down from a cantaloupe? Grapefruits. Like, maybe I'm a grapefruit. Grapefruit with a little, little cantaloupe. (laughs) On a, on a, you know, on a salty. A large
0: grapefruit. (laughs)
1: Yeah, on a day where I'm a little bloated, it's more like a cantaloupe. On a, on a skinnier day, it's more like a uh, grapefruit.
0: (laughs) So I think it's um, disputed whether Ida or this other company called SH Camp and company came up with the bra sizing system, but I kind of like the Ida Rosenthal story.
1: Yeah, Made in Form so. is still around. Yeah. Brand. Yeah,
0: Made in Form is still around. They're owned by Haynes. Um, so she and her husband end up setting up this company in New Jersey, and they call it the Maidenform Form Brasier Company, later just Made in Form. They pioneer things like adjustability and standardized sizing and this idea of the uplift method to take the weight off like the midsection of the body. So while in the twenties, women were worried about reducing their flesh and their breasts being too large. Now suddenly women are faced with the opposite problem. Fashions are becoming more form fitting and stars like Mae West pop up on the scene in the thirties and she's wearing these tight, tight fitted gowns. And she just had these huge boobs that became famous. Add to that, Lana Turner, who was the original sweater girl, I hate that name, by the way, but these were basically these girls with these like ample bosoms, wearing these tight fitted sweaters that showed off their assets.
1: Were they pointy yet, or was that not yet? Not yet.
0: So- not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll get to it. Okay. Was- <laughs> um, oh, at this okay. point, there's at this point they're still like round and voluptuous. Okay. Um, so this is also the first time that falsies appeared, which are basically molded rubber that could be worn inside the bra to add to women's cup sizes. This is the first time women are trying to make their boobs look bigger. Um, this is also when padded bras were invented. And in 1930 woman, 1930 woman, 1931. <laughs> in 1931, a woman named Helen Pons patented an open-ended U-shaped wire to sit underneath the breasts that looks a whole lot like underwires we know from today. At this point, though, unwired bras were pretty much still the norm until after World War II. So there were some wires that existed. There was even one that went all the way around the boob. Um, but this is also around the time that the word brazier gets shortened to bra. So moving on to the 1940s, we have World War II and women moving back into the workforce. And we abandoned the love of this natural shape of breasts for the bullet or the torpedo bra. So this bra is conical, and it's just got this really severe look to it. If you've ever seen Madonna and her uh, Gautier bustier, you know exactly what this bra looks like.
1: It was inspired by this, right? Like she was kind of uh, personifying this uh, decade. It was
0: pretty much made in exactly the same way, yeah. So the bras were stitched in a circular method around the cup to give them that severe cone shape. the crazy part of this is that it becomes popular because some workplaces actually require women to wear it as part of the uniform. Apparently, the points were supposed to offer some kind of like extra protection to keep up morale. I don't know whose morale, but anyway.
1: Not not the woman's.
0: <laughs> so that's how this this bra takes off. That's how it becomes popular is women just like are have to wear it. Um And so at this point in the US, there are rations on fabrics and metals. Nylon was available for use for bra manufacturers, but metal not so much. So even though underwires had been invented, they didn't really take off until the 50s. So during World War II, women were often asked to mend and make do instead of buying new clothes because of clothing rations. So a lot of women were still like making their own bras at home. Um, But in 1947, and that had that rationing having come to an end Christian Dior comes up with this new silhouette that goes in the complete opposite direction of that so this um this was called Dior's new look and it was basically an exaggerated hourglass nipped in at the waist and like big full skirts that required yards and yards of fabric to make just celebrating excess um
1: so this is one of the first times or one of the earlier times that we're seeing sort of like the bra and the designer create like something that has more, it, it's not just about functionality. It is exactly about, like the time, the proper time when, you know, as a designer, you could reach the masses through publication or Mm -hmm. like things like this and you could really use it uh to be like this is for again it's not the first time because we've talked about it already that in the past that it had existed in different forms of function and style and excess and not excess but yeah um but like well it's it's interesting because it's a modern example
0: it's interesting because it's kind of political and it kind of reminded me of like when, um, after the French Revolution, when they just went in the complete opposite direction of fashion, just as a statement. Like this look, it was a statement like the war is over. We're done rationing. We're just going to celebrate being women.
1: Yeah, back to excess. Like <laughs> we can.
0: Yeah. What's interesting though is that because of this like nipped in look, corsets come back. So there's this new type of corselette. It's just around the waist and it ends up getting this nickname called a waspy. Mm-hmm. It was invented like specifically for the new look. And then on top of that, for the bras, there's this new type of bra that's kind of inspired by that torpedo shape. But the difference is that the seams kind of point upwards and they bring the breasts up into this like upward, unnatural nat- position, just like super lifted. Yeah. Kind of like a push-up situation. Yeah, extra push-up. The pointed up part is the
1: part I'm struggling with, just because my nipples will not. I don't
0: know. Well, you can kind of see in the picture, like I'm a bra designer, so I can see where something doesn't fit. There's all this empty fabric, like right where right the where your nipple, nipple is, is, like
1: pointed out. The nipple is probably not even right there.
0: <laughs> no, like that does not look comfortable to me. <laughs> um, so around this time, also like 1947, 1948 is when the very first like true push-up bra with like a bump was invented by Fredericks of Hollywood. Um, so this is a variation on the bullet bra. It was still pointy, but this one was padded and it pushed the boobs like up and together, promising cleavage in a way that just hadn't really been done before.
1: I really want Frederick to be like the first husband of Victoria.
0: Victoria is not a real person, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I know, wait, is
1: is Frederick a real person?
0: Frederick is a real person. He Uh was, um, so he... The story I read that like when he was at war during World War Two, like he and his war buddies would talk about like the different types of lingerie that like turn them on. (laughs) And when they when he came home, he started a lingerie company.
1: (laughs) He's like, "There's money here, Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, money to be made." But I do want it's in some alternate universe. I want like Victoria to have been a real person, and I want like Uh, wait till you hear the. the scorned lover from frederick and she seeks her revenge i mean this
0: is not the real yeah wait till you hear the victoria story it's gonna make you so mad i
1: don't want to i don't want to yeah i know it will. i don't want to
0: get too far ahead (laughs) it's just it's so not romantic
1: i'm romanticizing it now before we go we go there so (laughs)
0: So after the forties, the fifties were a fun time for bras. The bullet bra continues to be popular into the fifties with this new generation of sweater girls, but this time they're pointy. Mm -hmm. So movie stars like Marilyn Monroe and Bridget Bardot, they popularize this like ultra pointy boob under ultra tight sweater look. And with the invention of spandex, suddenly bras become more comfortable and stretchy. So they're using elastic, they're like more form-fitting, they're just a lot more comfortable. Before this point, also, a lot of women were still making their own bras at home, but in the 50s, bra companies started mass producing and outsourcing their production for cheaper labor, so that starts making bras way more accessible and easy to buy, and they start becoming just way more available. Maidenform also launches their famous "I dreamed" campaign, and they start publishing these like staged photos of women wearing their maidenform bras out and about. So it would be something like "I dreamed I went to work in my maidenform bra," and it's a photo of a woman in a pencil skirt and a bullet bra sitting on a desk in her on her phone with like a big smile on her face. No shirt, just her bra. Just her bra, which would have
1: been deemed very inappropriate at the time to go to work. I was just actually on this time too.
0: Um, So towards the end of the 50s, we see bra manufacturers coming up with like little gimmicks to make women's breasts appear bigger. Mm -hmm. Some women were still just stuffing their bras with tissues and whatnot. But at this time, Maidenform, our favorite Maidenform, comes up with the first bra with removable pads that are inserted into these specially designed pockets. But my favorite Maidenform invention, though, is the Trey Secret bra that's, wait for it, inflatable. It was strapless and you literally just stuck a straw into it and pumped it up with your mouth to pump up your breast size.
1: And did this eventually lead to the invention of the, uh, from the mini project, I always remember the, like the wine bra or like.
0: The wine bra? What's that one? There are like oh, where you could like know, suck one.
1: I don't know if it's a real thing, but yeah, like it's like yes, it's a and you could drink wine from your. Like, it's like padding, I guess that goes in there. I don't know if it's a real thing. We'll have to do some investigative reporting.
0: We will have to check that
1: out. That I remember from the Mindy project, there was an episode where she was like at a holiday party wearing it, and she was just like in her office like drinking from her wine bra.
0: <laughs> looks similar um, to this. so. The strapless bra was super important at this time. Evening wear was starting to expose more and more of the breast again. Demi cups become a thing, which is just a half cup. Um, Strapless bras start becoming more popular and strapless bra patents actually outnumbered all other style patents in the 50s. Um, Underwires were coming back because there's no more rations on metal. And whereas before they were invented mostly to support larger busted women, now they were becoming a thing for women of all sizes and just becoming more popular. Interesting we're almost done
1: <laughs> no I'm like so interested in that just like the timing of the patents and stuff like that it's just like I think that you people see an opportunity and they're like well, this is the time I gotta like maximize this and make sure I'm like one of the first
0: it's interesting because you can actually like if you know the patent number you can look them up mm-hmm. so that's how I was finding some of those other patent sketches because like on uh, like patents.google.com you can literally just like find any patent that's ever been filed oh
1: that's cool
0: Um, So as we come into the 60s, um, there's this, and I don't have photos, I'm sorry. (laughs) So as we come into the 60s, there's this unprecedented number of teens because of the baby boomers. And companies like our favorite Maiden Forum start targeting their advertising towards them. Mm -hmm. Articles start coming out in magazines instructing teens that, you know, maybe it's not too soon to start wearing a bra. We also start seeing a departure again. So the the pendulum swinging again. We start seeing a departure from that voluptuous, like uber-feminized silhouette of the 50s when a new icon busts on the scene, Twiggy. Born Leslie Hornby, her boyfriend ends up becoming her agent and nicknames her Twiggy. She was this gorgeous, skinny, waif-like figure with a very flat 32-inch bust. So just A-cup, very flat. She wore these trademark shift dresses and she went totally braless underneath them. It became her thing. And it was so different from everything that came before. And she was really a huge part of the cultural revolution of the sixties. So while the bra, when it first came out was this feminist liberating item at the turn of the century. Now it had become a symbol of oppression again. If wearing a bra was a radical thing, now not wearing one was a symbol of protest. In 1968, a group of women gathered in Atlantic City and decided to stage a protest against all these oppressions against women. You know, women were earning less than half of what men earned for the same work. They were discriminated against in education and and way more. So they gather up a bunch of like constricting feminine items, not just bras. They gather up girdles, pantyhose, high heels, and they make this huge gesture of throwing their bras into a trash can. So it's interesting because that first protest in Atlantic City, most historians believe that the bra burning never actually happened because they weren't able to get a fire permit. Um, But that kind of inspires a whole bunch of these bra burning protests to happen across the country. So an interesting thing was happening, catalyzed by Twiggy, the bra protest, the hippie movement, gradually wearing a bra was becoming a choice. People were becoming more accustomed to seeing breasts in their natural state, just moving freely under clothing or or sometimes not even under clothing. Um, So as this happened, bra companies had to start shifting their perspective too. first by offering more natural looks and later becoming more easy to shop for with a company called Victoria's Secret. And that breasties, oh, ja, ja. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that breasties, after 10 pages of notes and a lot of research, is where I will leave you this episode. In part two of the business of the bra, we're going to start talking about the company that everybody loves to hate um, and how we got to where we are today in the bra world. The Very Breast Podcast ever was written, produced, and recorded by Nadia Figueroa and Alyssa McHugh. Cover art by Alyssa McHugh. Opening music by Margaret Tran. Check her out on Spotify. For episode transcripts and sources, please visit our website at theverybreastpodcastever.com. Do you have questions, corrections? Do you want to tell us your breast story? Get in touch with us on Instagram at theverybreastpod or email us at ever at gmail.com. If you like our podcast, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, share with your breasties, and consider donating to our Patreon. Thanks for listening. Now go out and make today the breast day ever.